Welcome to the Power of Property podcast. I am your host, Ellie Mackay, a property investor and developer. And this podcast is for anyone who shares my passion for property. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, I want to take you to the next level. I'm going to be bringing some real chat with some of the UK's leading property entrepreneurs. We'll be sharing wisdom and industry insights without any of the BS. Property's absolutely transformed my life and I know it has the potential to change yours too. Enjoy. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of The Power in Property, um, where I am joined this week by someone rather special, um, Frank Flegg, who is the founder of Ethical Property Partners. Now, Frank and I are actually in the same mastermind group and whenever he speaks, I'm always fascinated by the depth of his knowledge, not just of property, but of the economy in general. So it's a real privilege to have you with us today, Frank. Thank you, Ellie. Thank Lovely you. to be on the podcast. Um, I'm not sure uh, whether it's deserving of fascination, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate the compliment all the same. Genuinely, you're one of the very few people, I've got to be completely honest and say, when you speak, I, I give you my undivided attention. There's always <laughs> reams and reams of notes. So, um, yeah, I absolutely stand by that statement. But but just to give the, the listeners a bit, a, bit, a bit of understanding of your backstory, you actually started out as um, a secondary school science teacher, didn't you? I did. Yeah, absolutely. I was at uh, I was at university and I went to the careers fair and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was at Nottingham University and we went around this big careers fair and I ended up with two, sorry, three like brochures in my bag. One, believe it or not, was for the Secret Service. Um, I was interested oh, wow. in, in becoming a, uh, yeah, an operative. Um and and then realized how <laughs> unlike the movies it really was so I didn't progress that very far it was like sitting behind a computer for 10 years and then you might get into the field so that right really didn't appear um the second option was a, a career in British aerospace and it, it was a brilliant career you got to work on uh, they're obviously a a, a um, an arms company largely and so you got to work on submarines and aircraft and it was really exciting you went they posted you in five different countries over their five-year program and it was like an acceleration into management and I just couldn't work for an arms company like I looked at all the bad publicity about them and decided I went all the way through their selection process and then decided I couldn't actually <laughs> swallow the <laughs> the mor- morality of creating war basically uh, sorry to anyone who's from BAE systems um, and the third option I should have picked up more brochures clearly but it was a fast track into leadership and teaching and you had to go down to Cambridge University to, well, there's about five universities in the country that could do it, but you had to, the closest one for me uh, was Cambridge. So I went down to Cambridge and spent a year basically being taught how to become a secondary school teacher and at the same time, how to become a leader in a school. So they brought all the best leaders from education. Um, I think we had the Minister for Education come down and speak to us. We had some of the like best performing head teachers, some of the super heads, they're called, in the country come and speak to us. And it was really inspiring. And that that led on to me teaching in a in a school um, in a, sorry, in a city school in Nottingham, secondary science. And I did that for two years. It was it was really eye opening. There were kids who had never been their third generation unemployed never been into nottingham <laughs> and the school was a mile and a half from nottingham city center like they, it was that insular and wow. um being asked by kids you know why do i need to learn this uh, when their mum and dad hadn't worked and their nan and granddad hadn't worked and you're telling them well it's so you can get a job and they're like well yeah but why do, why do i need a job you know my, no one in my family works it's, it was a real challenge so yeah that was my that was my first career basically and uh, and I moved on to property so I spent a year training and then two years teaching and then and then moved into property so quite an unusual start to a, a property career for sure. <laughs> I was going to say I know you left that behind you in, in 2007 but at what point did you start um, becoming interested in property? before that a long way before you've done your research Ellie I like it you know the dates better than me I'm, I'm normally like trying to work out on my fingers and toes what year stuff happened in and it, 
it sounds like I'm like making it up, but I, I can never remember. In fact, I um I, I was I was asked once by someone on the phone, um, you know, to give my date of birth as as proof of identity, and I was like, right, I was born in '82, so I'm, and I was working, and she she actually said, can I speak to the real Mr. Flag? <laughs> like, no, it's really me. I just it was like, like the question was like, what 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 age will you be on your next birthday and I didn't know how old I was so I had to work it out yeah it's funny. Frank I've just introduced you as the oracle and now you're telling the <laughs> listeners that you don't even know your own birthday <laughs> I know I'm 39 now I remember that bit yeah but but I go whole years not knowing how old I am yeah um <laughs> only because my wife keeps talking about a 40th party next year that's the only reason I know but uh yeah so I um I've completely forgotten the question uh, Ellie what what were you asking me so how, we were did talking about, how did I get into Yeah, presumably while you were still teaching, you were you were starting to look into this and, and understand earlier. the powder property. Yeah, it was earlier than that, believe it or not. So um right. I can remember being at university and um so Nottingham's a big university town. There are, are two universities at the time when I was at uni, so 20 odd years ago there were 50,000 students. I imagine there's a lot more now. I think both unis have expanded. So there were literally thousands of student properties and I, I lived in one. I can remember working out what the four or five of us, uh, how many of us, four of us were paying um, in um, in our house. And my, my friend actually bought his own house. It was, it was quite sad. His his father passed away when he was doing A-levels and left him a, a small amount of money, but enough to buy a house cash. So not that small, but not, you know, millions. And um, he bought a house and three of us moved in with him. So there was four of us in, in the house. And I, I just remember doing the sums and going to, I actually went to Halifax. And the reason I know I went to Halifax is because years later, when I started buying houses, I opened a bank account with Halifax and they said, we have you on file, Mr. Flag." And I said, really? I've never banked with you in my life. And they said, well, you came in and it was years earlier. I must have been like 19 or 18 and um, and did a decision in principle mortgage with us. And it was it was it was to work out whether I could become a landlord as a student. And obviously <laughs> they didn't lend any money to me, but the numbers worked. I can remember looking at it thinking, wow, if I can just buy this property and there were crazy mortgages at the time you could get. 100 100% mortgages 105% mortgages etc um but I couldn't get one without a paycheck and 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 I I, I remember looking at it thinking my, my friends made a really smart move here and I looked at all the other landlords in Nottingham and I just thought wow this is just a a gravy train really and, and it really was and so literally with my first paycheck I bought my first house and so I'd, I'd already offered on the property. So I started teaching in the September. I'd offered on the property in August. Conveyancing was going through. And then as we came close to needing the mortgage, I spoke to the mortgage broker and he said, well, just pay, show me your, your last pay slip. And I said, well, my first pay slip <laughs> is coming in about a week's time. So we had to wait and I got my <laughs> pay slip. I showed it to him and he was ready with the application. And so I really couldn't have bought a... Uh, well, actually, I could have bought houses much earlier. I just didn't know how. But with my limited knowledge at the time, it was the earliest I could buy a house. So, yeah, I, I then so I bought one house uh, with my first paycheck. Took me about 18 months to buy another. Um, and those were 100 grand houses. And I think on the first one, I put a 10% deposit down. And on the second one, you could do something called a vendor gifted deposit and I bought it off a builder. So I got a 95% mortgage and the ven and the builder gave me the 5% deposit. So it's my first no money down deal was, um, was my second property. Um, but I was pretty much out of savings then I spent some money doing it up and, and realized that I wanted to do property, more and more property. And it was quite hard to do that second one whilst holding down a full-time teaching job. So I was going up in my evenings and like laying laminate floor and I was trying to do the garden and stuff. And, um, and I realized that to carry on doing more properties, 
I needed to, I thought I needed to be, to, to go to auctions and to not be tied to a teaching job. Actually, in retrospect, I've got clients now who are full-time teachers and clients who are, who work full-time and, and I disagree completely with my mindset. I, I think you can build a fantastic portfolio whilst working full-time, no problem at all. But that was my mindset at the time. The property, the, the, the one that, um, I bought so I bought a third one whilst I was a teacher so in those two years I bought three and the third one gave me a hundred pounds a month profit and I was only taking home 1400 pounds a month at the time as a teacher and I just remember thinking wow if I can do 13 more I can retire and that was it and I was just like right that's going to be my mission I'm going to buy 13 more houses <laughs> and, uh, and retire <laughs> the bit I didn't factor in was that my cost of living might go up <laughs> significantly but um, that's basically how I started and why I've carried on buying properties yeah Quite but you took more. a bit of a leap of faith didn't you so, you so you left the comfort and security of your salary and you went to work on a commission only basis for an estate agent I did. I did. Wow. Your research is a good Ellie. I like it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was in my summer holidays. The beauty of teaching is if you quit in July, you get paid for the end of July and August. So I had six weeks um, pay still to come. And I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. All I knew was I wanted to go into property <laughs> full stop. That was it. Just do property full time. So I, I joined every online forum um some great ones i can still remember their names now some of them still exist some of them are long gone um i went to networking events and started to educate myself i guess in a really haphazard way um i hadn't at that point realized the power of mentorship uh i wish i had but i yeah, tried to do everything on the cheap, tried to get free advice. And as the saying goes, you know, free advice is worth every penny. So made a made a lot of mistakes and went down a lot of dead ends and listened to far too much hot air on social media, etc. But I did start to realize that if I worked in a day job in property, that would help my development. So I went and worked for a um an estate agent. I I actually got four estate agents to come around to my house. I was I was half interested in selling it, um, but more interested in interviewing them. They didn't realize that. They thought they were coming around to value my house. So they the four agents came around and I just chatted to each valuer about the company and what they were like. And one of them was the owner of a new estate agency in um, in Nottingham. And I just liked him. I thought, I thought he was an excellent salesman. I liked how he spoke and I liked how he understood sales he told me a bit about his career he'd been a salesman his whole life and I just thought I can learn a lot from this guy so yeah I went and worked for him uh commission only so yeah I was in six days a week um and uh and just focused a hundred percent on getting I think when I got when I got into the estate agency he had like eight properties on his board because he was quite new and so my job was just to get more and more properties on on the board. So sign up vendors and then slowly I, I was allowed on the sales side where I um, could speak to prospective buyers. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's fascinating journey. Fascinating journey. Am I right in saying, though, Frank, that after six weeks, you actually set up your own estate agency? Yeah, you are right. So that's funny. I wasn't going to go there <laughs> for two but that, reasons. That, I, mean, that, that's, I, I knew you wouldn't because you're very humble, but that is quite a phenomenal achievement in its own right, isn't it? Although the timing may have been somewhat questionable in hindsight. <laughs> I'm not sure it's humble. I think it's quite uh, egotistical to think uh, <laughs> I could put my own after six weeks. But it was, it was, there was two reasons. One was the carrot, if you like, and that was I was on 20% commission of everything I made. And I looked at his overheads. So I was sat at a desk and I thought it wasn't a high street estate agent. It was quite a novel concept. He was like in an office block. So no clients really came to it. We didn't have any uh, pictures of properties in our window. There was no window, you know, so um, no, no street um, window rather. And so <laughs> I wasn't in a dungeon. There, there were windows. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, actually, I could be doing this from my bedroom at home. Uh, or my dining room table and then I looked at what I was getting in terms of his branding and stuff and I just thought I'd 
all of that is not worth 80%. I could do this on my own. So that was the, the idea that was just starting to germinate. <laughs> and at the same time, he stopped paying me <laughs> and I was working my socks off. And um, he paid, I think in week five, I was due a hundred pound commission. I, I forget exactly what I was paid, but something like bringing on a property was 50 quid or something. And I bought two on. Um, and no, it must've been, it must've been sales. I, I can't remember the exact commission structure, but I, I knew there was going to be a lag because I was bringing properties on. I bought lots on, so it couldn't have been for bringing properties on. It must've been for selling properties. I told you I was rubbish with the details in the early. So it must've been for selling properties. And I think one must've completed and I got a hundred quid for it. So I was, I was on 20% of what he made. So what would that have been? He would have made 500 quid or something. I think he did an introductory offer of 500 quid for the first few people whose houses we sold. And then the next week, I think it was week six, um, I was due quite a lot. I was due like a thousand pounds because obviously the work I'd put in early on, they started completing. And I think we'd agreed I was paid on a Friday and, and, and he wasn't around on the Friday. So then I saw him on the Monday. I said, can I have my pay for last week? And it was all, um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, um. Anyway, it turned out he was in uh, financial trouble. He didn't tell me that at the time. Um, and I thought, oh, I can't work <laughs> for no basic and no commission. That, that, that doesn't work for me. I had a more, well, I had three mortgages. And so um, I, uh, that was kind of the stick. And it was a, a lot of the stick and a little bit of the carrot because I could have gone and worked for someone else. And I, I thought to myself, how much more can I learn? You know, I've learned a lot of, it was a franchise uh, estate agency and I'd, I'd been on some training with the national head office franchise. And, and I just thought, do you know what? I think I'll learn the rest as I go along. And, and that was the, the leap of faith. Yeah. Far from humble. I think Ellie, the, the, the polar opposite. <laughs> well, I know you speak quite openly about the fact that you were actually at the brink of bankruptcy at one point, because of course, in November, 2007, we were kind of at the, the epicenter of the, the demise of the economy really weren't we oh i opened my doors I, I i did everything wrong oh if i could only have a quiet word with myself now <laughs> from 2007 but but then it wouldn't have led to here so i ha i don't have regrets but boy did i make some clangers yet so i opened um an office opposite savills um so center of nottingham ng1 uh, we were losing, I think it was £5,000 a month just to open the doors. And, and I didn't have savings. Like I used every penny of my savings, yet yeah, really close to just losing it all. Um, but what they say necessity is the, the mother of invention, don't they? And, and that, that was what started to morph our, um, our business into something that was profitable and, and something that's grown since. Yeah, what, what are we now? We're 2021. So what's that? Three, 14 years on yeah mm -hmm. it's been a journey <laughs> you, you mentioned at that point as well you weren't really tapping into mentors or business coaching or anything else and for me hearing that knowing where you are now and mm. you know not just the depth of your knowledge but what you've achieved which we will go into where did your learnings come because yes of course we can learn from our own mistakes but at what point did you really start to level up and and sort of getting around the right people and accessing the right information yeah i met a lot of people and i was massively ambitious massively ambitious um and i met a lot of people who'd been in business a lot of years but they didn't seem to be anywhere near where i wanted to get to so they just looked like they'd repeated the same year 20 times so they go oh, i've been in business 20 years and i'd look at it and i think I could see how I can be there in a year's time, but then I'd want to be better a year later and even better a year after that. And so I started trying to identify people who seem to be subscribing to that. Well, the concept now of, of Kaizen, I didn't know that's what it was called at the time, but mm -hmm. um, that, that continuous and never ending improvement. And and we're, we're happy with the journey. We're enjoying the journey rather, but we're eager to improve themselves and um, hungry for greater success. I guess that was the, uh, the, the, the long and short of it. And a guy came and met with me. Um, he, my business partner at the time, 
he he was a member of BNI and this guy had stood up and said, I'm looking to meet with a state agency. And he was a drainage and pest control guy, a guy called Chris. And Chris came and um, sat with me in, in our little offices uh, opposite Savills. And, um, and we just hit it off um, from that very first meeting. Um, he's now the godfather of both of my children. We, we hang out loads. We're, we're best of friends. And, um, he spoke differently. He was ambitious. He was positive. And he basically, we, we had, a, it, it was supposed to be like a 20 minute meeting and it ended up being something crazy, like an hour and a half. And, um, he mentioned that he had a business coach and he said, I think you should speak to my business coach. And I was like, that's really interesting. You can have a coach for business. I didn't even know it existed. You know, I'd, 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 I've always been an athlete. So I'd, I'd had running coaches. I'd had rugby coaches. I'd had football coaches, tug of war coaches. Never, I didn't even know a coach for business existed. And um, so I interviewed two coaches and met with his business coach. And I thought, um, this is what I'm after. This is what I uh, um, need. It was a structure. It was well thought out there were just all the answers there and I I knew I was floundering I knew I didn't have what it what it was going to take to succeed and I knew I needed help and it, the, the both coaches that I interviewed um said it's really unusual Frank for someone to be sold on business coaching and to be just choosing the coach most people we have to sell them on the concept of business coaching and you know we're just the coach that's in front of them but but I was kind of yeah, my back was against the wall and I knew I needed help. So, um, yeah, I signed up with Chris's business coach, which, um, who is Vanda, um, who is now Vanda Flegg, my, my wife. So we, we, uh, we have, uh, two children together and are married. So I, I really did buy into the concept of business. Coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. My due diligence has failed me because I oh, did really? not pick up on that. Wowzers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, what a journey <laughs> that, that's crazy so you've got your business coach you've started to level up and, and, and really sort of focus down because as we know you don't know what you don't know um, mm. talk us through how ethical property partners came about because it's quite a unique concept and uh, you know I, I really want to kind of dive a bit deeper into this because mm. for anyone who doesn't follow Frag uh, Frank, the, the the sort of franchise model that, that you work with, you, you're you're teaching your mentees over sixty one different property strategies. The depth to what you're doing is um, is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, we've deliberately done it that way. We've deliberately made it uh, different to to most um, other mentorships and and programs that that are out there. It's quite a crowded marketplace but but i also think i do things a bit differently as well so i think it's congruent um i let me just take two steps back so at the time that i took on um vander as a coach i was i had an estate agency a lettings agency and i was sourcing properties for investors and very, very rapidly, literally within two months or something, we closed the estate agency and closed the lettings agency and focused just on the sourcing for investors. Um, and it, it, it changed almost overnight. Um, in 2009, we won, we won rather, um, business of the year. So Vanda was an action coach. So it's a global business coaching franchise. Um, we won business of the year in the UK for action coaches that's all of the coaches and all of their clients um we did i think we did 26 flips that year and what we were doing is we were buying at so this is me and my business partner um we were buying at anything between 35 and 25 percent below market value and we were selling at market value um so really high margins and at any one time we had about 10 properties going through so we were either just buying them doing them up selling them our average hold was six weeks at the time that and that's from completion to completion <laughs> which is unbelievable because yeah. we were actually starting to buy we were we were actually starting to sell them before we even had completed on the on the purchase which is uh, amazing so that was 2009 i think the times is like the times or the telegraph came up and did a um like a good news story because that was in the depth of, of a recession you know property prices had dropped massively 2008 2009 in the midlands we were doing this in nottingham area um 
we yeah they did a good news story on us they came up took a photo i was overseas i was in morocco and my business partner got this big it was like a half page or quarter page story and it was him and i was like i should be in that photo like national <laughs> media um what i haven't mentioned is my my dad and my two uncles were both estate agents down in the southeast and my two uncles both saw this story and, and it mentioned me and like, oh frank and they were like why didn't you get your photo because <laughs> i got like mm-hmm. out my moment of glory uh, my <laughs> moment of fame but um yeah so that was 2009 um he and i my business partner um we went our separate ways in 2010 and decided to, he wanted to go into development and i quite liked having the relationship with investors um negotiating with the vendors so i at that point and this is so interesting i i got to the point i think it was in 2010 when i was flipping five or six properties and that was making me a hundred grand net quite comfortably i got my hours down i'd gone from working i was working 13 days out of every 14 when I had my own estate agency so November December January um 2008 um and in two years I'd got to a really good income so I'd gone from losing five grand a month to making um what's that eight grand a month or so and I was then working 32 and a half hours a week I'd I'd implemented a lot of what Action Coach um teaches and I was basically at where I wanted to get to from two years ago. So my whole dream chart, so I I could travel, I could have bought the cars that I thought I wanted. The irony is I didn't want them, but yeah, Um, the the watches, I I could have had everything I wanted. Um, And I actually got quite depressed. It was really weird. And so I and, and I get how ungrateful that sounds. I, I, I can remember really clearly my wife at the time, uh, were we married then? My girlfriend or wife, I forget whether we were married then or not. <laughs> I should know that, but I don't know dates. <laughs> um, she, she was a uh, trainee doctor. And so she, like a junior doctor, actually. So she was going to hospital and she was working 80, 90 hours a week. And I'd gone from working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and now I was working 30 hours a week. And I I can remember not being able to get out of my pajamas for like three days straight. I was really, it was all, it must be a bit like they say that the people that first um, landed on the moon, they came back and where do you go from there? And I was thinking about this recently with um, the Tokyo Olympics, all those athletes, they've been building up to that for five years or nine years or whatever. And if they've got gold, medals what where do they go now you know how long does that high last for and I I realized it was quite hollow but didn't know what to do about it so I kind of picked myself up I threw myself into exercise that's kind of been my um my savior throughout my life I can remember going for like four hour runs of an afternoon you know I'd do my three hours work for the day and then I'd um go and uh, go for a, a four-hour run, and and then I'd, I I joined a swimming club so I could do some swimming. I, I was just bored, if I'm honest, and mm-hmm. um, and I get that that you know to a lot of people might sound really ungrateful, but but I was. There was just this massive void in my life. Um, I said to my uh, fiance, girlfriend, wife at the time, um, I said, "Should we have kids? <laughs> I'll happily be the stay-at-home dad. You know, <laughs> like you carry on with your career, and I'll be the stay-at-home dad." But she didn't want kids, so that didn't work. Um, and so we just, yeah, I just plodded on. Um, uh, I enjoyed meeting vendors. I enjoyed meeting investors. I tolerated the conveyancing bit in the middle. Um, and I basically turned into one of those guys that I was speaking about earlier who just repeated the same year. And I did, I repeated it for a few years, just did the same thing. I didn't get any better, didn't do any more transactions, didn't earn any more money. I was buying for myself, so I kept buying a few for myself each year. Um, and it got to a, a point, so I was, I was then I was then with Vanda. Vanda and I got together in, uh, I think, 2010, late 2010, um, mainly because of the kids thing, actually. I decided I really wanted kids, and she decided she really wanted kids, and then we decided we really liked each other. Um, and uh, and so we had a whole changing of relationships and um and i just yeah trod water for a bit 
um, until I had my son. So I had Frank Jr. And uh, I, the night that he was born, he came very, very early. Vanda had preeclampsia and then eclampsia. She very nearly died. Uh, the consultant said, you know, like, prepare yourself uh, for the worst. Uh, he came out this tiny little five pound baby, um, like dark purple, not a healthy baby at all. Um, he, he went straight into intensive care for a few weeks and stuff. And, and I can remember that, that, that was like, um, a, uh, a turning point in my life. It was massive for me. Um, I went to the little, uh, chapel. I don't know how, uh, how this sits with your audience uh ellie but it's it's my uh my story <laughs> uh, and and what happened to me and i went to the little chapel i've been an atheist my whole life and uh i prayed i prayed for pretty much the first time in my life and um and just said you know if if uh, if you're there god and if you uh save them both uh today then uh i'll start working for you <laughs> you'll you'll be the you'll be the boss and i'll uh, i'll believe in you basically i didn't i didn't really know how to pray but that was that was the extent of my praying and uh and they did they both pulled through which was uh pretty amazing um wow. i had to say is that can I, can I just ask you frank has that been a, a big part of your life moving forward then oh, spirituality or religion yeah yeah being a christian has uh has transformed my life if i'm honest yeah it's uh it's it's filled that void really i didn't know that, that was what the void was but it, it filled it and and so i didn't know this but chris the same Chris who uh, had introduced me to Vanda several years earlier, um, the drainage and pest control guy, um, I phoned him because he had known Vanda's husband, her, her ex-husband. And um, in 20, uh, when was Frank born? Oh, I should know this. 2011. In 2011, when Frank was born, um, she hadn't yet finalized the divorce with her ex-husband. And they needed some forms to be signed for like life-saving treatment. She was not coherent uh, with all the pain and the drugs that they'd given her. And I wasn't allowed to sign on her behalf. And so um, really, it was a really awkward situation. And I phoned Chris and I said, Chris, you know Vanda's ex-husband really well could you give him a bell and just see if he's like willing to come as an emergency to the hospital because they need these forms signing. And he phoned uh, Vanda's ex-husband and he was lovely about it and he was all ready to jump in the car and then they realized, then they decided that they didn't need to make this guy drive to sign a form. They could just do the treatment anyway, which was a, a blessing. Um, and I, unbeknown to me, Chris, at that point that I was in the chapel, we worked this out later, he was praying. He was a Christian and I'd known he'd been a Christian. He'd only a recent Christian. And I'm not sure he was when I first met him, but he had become one in the intervening years. And um, he was praying at that time saying, um, God, if you get Vanda and little Frank Jr. through this, I promise to drag them kicking and screaming to church just once. I promise to get them to church just once so they can, you know, have a chance of getting to know you. And at the same time, I was in the chapel saying, you know, God, if you exist, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll follow you. And so after they pulled through, Chris came and visited and he, he his jaw dropped because I said, right, Chris, I want to come to this church of yours. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my goodness, wow. I was going to make you come. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was the start of um, of my life as a Christian. And, and from that, um, I realized that I needed to raise my game. I needed to do more with my life. And I, I, I'd already, already realized that it wasn't about cars. Like I bought my first ever brand new car last year. Like I've always had 10 year old cars. It's just not important to me whatsoever. And the only reason I bought a new one is because I wanted a Tesla. And <laughs> they did a good, they, they did free electricity, free supercharging for life. If you bought it new and I worked out the math, I was like, oh, for the first time ever, I can justify buying a new car. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't do cars like my our second car is like a mini, uh, mini Cooper. Um, and I don't do watches. I've got like one half decent watch. Um, and so I just, I knew that that wasn't success for me. And so mm. I started searching for what success was and what this void was going to be filled with. And it was, 
um, and I prayed about it loads and I, I worked out and, and, and others helped me to work out that I'd learned to teach. I, I thought that was a complete waste, by the way, the, the two years teaching, I was like, why do a year training to teach for two years? You know, what a waste of government resources, what a waste of my time. You know, I just, I'd seen that as a bit of a, a treading water period, but mm. I had learned to teach but probably by some of the best teachers of teachers in the country. And I'd learned property pretty well by this point, because I'd done a lot of transactions and worked with some really good people. Um, and, and I knew how to find investors to buy properties. And I know that's something you're awesome at Ellie finding investors, but a lot of people seem to struggle with that. Um, and so it was really about how do I combine all of those skills into a business that does some good? And um, I'd had this idea and I, when I was a student, when we moved into that first house with my mate whose father had passed away, we had a garage. And my idea then, so I was, I was 19, 20 at that point, my idea then was we could go and take a, a homeless person off the street. They could live in the garage and we could help them get a job. And none of the and then they could move out and get themselves a, a flat and we could do the same thing again. And um, that idea had kind of just stayed with me, but I'd never acted on it. None of my housemates wanted to do it. And I, I understand why. <laughs> Here's the keys to our house. We're all off for the day. You know, please don't touch our laptops or our mountain bikes. Like, I, I'm not a, an idiot. Um, but um, so they didn't go for it. When we were doing 10 properties at a time, I remember saying to my business partner, um, Brett, at the time, I remember saying that we could actually have a family housed permanently. If they were willing to move house every like two weeks, we always have a house that's furnished. Um, so not furnished, a house that's refurbished with central heating. Um, and so long as they were like a little bit flexible, then we could actually house a family indefinitely. You know, there must be families on, on the street in Nottingham. And he, it was the same argument. And I get it. It's like, Frank, we've just spent 20, 30,000 pounds doing up this house. It's about to complete for an investor. You're going to let someone in we don't even know and let their kids run around it. And what, they're going to camp on what, camp beds? Or they're going to bring um, mattresses with them? How's it going to work? And I, I, I did get the... It was a nice idea, but it wasn't clever enough, really. I, I needed to, I needed to grow, and so as I grew, I realised that that was what I wanted to do, and mm -hmm. we set up, um, uh, we set up the Stepping Stones project actually, which was the housing the homeless project first, mm -hmm. um, and then I realised so that was partnering with charities. The charities would would bring their homeless clients into the properties we'd provide the properties the investors would buy the properties and then the charities would support them to get employment to rebuild their lives and move on to rented sector accommodation and then they could reuse the beds and so we had a throughput of homeless people but we weren't just a sticking plaster we were actually helping them to become permanently housed um and i loved that 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 was filling the the void I, I felt very fulfilled by that and still do to this day our goal our mission is to end homelessness globally and we're working towards that uh, as of today we've just surpassed 170,000 nights where a homeless person an otherwise homeless person has slept in one of our stepping stones beds rather than on the street and i'm, I'm massively proud of that um wow. How many nights did you see, Frank? 170,000 we're at. Fantastic. Um, I was in Costa Rica a couple of months ago. We're setting up a housing project there now, Stepping Stones project there, where we're going to house 10 families initially and then um, potentially more. We're, we're actually in discussions with a, a very large um, um, financial institution that... Um, runs funds for global impact so that they, they they will only invest so they have pension funds invest with them they have private high net worth individuals etc they will only invest in projects and companies and charities that are improving the world and they're very interested in supporting us we're, we're opening up 
stepping stones into Nepal as well uh, next year. So we're 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 moving towards that that legacy of, and if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, that's fine. But it's uh, we're certainly going to get as close to everyone on the planet having a home as as we possibly can. And so we started that in a very small way in Derby. Just uh, I think it's three of us initially, and I realised that. I could either get super wealthy, like Warren Buffett kind of wealthy, Bill Gates level of wealth, and do lots of housing the homeless. Or I needed to find a better way. And the problem was I didn't back myself. If you look at both of them, both of them have done masses of philanthropic work now or over the last few years. But in their early years, they were solely focused, to the best of my knowledge I've read, numerous books about both to the best of my knowledge they were a hundred percent focused on wealth generation in the early days you know in the early decades and i didn't want that i wanted to grow the the, the stepping stones project now and so i looked at how i could do that and i figured if i could help others so loads of most people i speak to are interested in housing the homeless so like, oh that's amazing how do you do it but not many of them have done something similar if any and not many actually go on to do it and so I thought to myself if I could support people that wanted to house the homeless to get to financial freedom themselves I was financially free um uh let me get it right around the age of 30 uh it might have been just before 30 it might have been just after but you know that that but that was when I was just repeating the same year over and over it's pretty, pretty boring if I could get people to that point very quickly then they don't have to worry about their own bank balance and they can focus on housing the homeless and so that was where the idea of a franchise came from I'd been obviously involved in action coach uh, as a client and then latterly working alongside band as a coach I'd owned a or I'd run a BNI franchise for three years so I understood how BNI both of those action and BNI are global franchises so I'd seen how they ran and I like the relationship I like the franchisor franchisee relationship I like that it was a a long-term partnership and so I thought to myself if I did this along the lines of a franchise I think it could work really well it could expand stepping stones it would tie in with all that learning I did about how to teach which it absolutely does I I use that education every day now isn't that funny that that, that those skills as a teacher I use every day so uh, that was the the birth of ethical property partners Ellie yeah wow fantastic can, can you just give us a little bit of an insight as to the scale of ethical property partners today and some of the work that you're doing yeah, sure. So we, um, I grew England and Wales to, I think, uh, 45 or so uh, franchisees. Um, we then sold the rights to Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. Uh, so we've got a master franchisor out there now who's who's growing that. I think we've got eight or nine franchisees in, uh, in Northern Ireland. Um, we've now sold England and Wales to new owners. So we're supporting them two franchisees stepped up and bought uh, the rights to England and Wales. So they're now supporting all the franchisees and are growing um, the, the the franchise in England and Wales. We've sold the rights to, um, we've sold an option actually for the rights to Australia. Um, a guy wants to run EPP in Australia and we're now um, launching into the United States. We've partnered with the uh, a guy, your property audience will probably know Dolph DeRoos. So Dolph DeRoos was the original rich dad advisor for real estate, working with uh, Robert Kiyosaki. He actually still teaches for um, uh, Tony Robbins. Uh, he's presented with like Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar. He, he's he's wow. presented with all the greats. The stories he tells, he actually came out to Costa Rica and spent uh, three or four days with, uh, with me and the family. We did some filming and stuff, but he is um he and i are launching epp into the states so yeah it's uh, it's growing quite swiftly ellie it's exciting if, if any of your listeners are interested in running epp in uh, in a country uh, in any country actually um then uh, i'd love to hear from them because uh, this is the next stage of our journey and there's there's a massive opportunity actually for for country owners yeah 
Can you tell us a little bit more? Because there'll be people listening to this and going, okay, that, that's brilliant. But what um, what kind of people are you looking for? And, and, and what do you actually help them to achieve? I know it's financial freedom, but what kind of tools do you do, do you sort of give them to, to empower them with? What kind of knowledge or education should they expect? Mm, yeah, good question. So I think it's probably easiest to, to you know, use a case study. So I'll, I'll use um, the first one that comes to mind. So this is um a partnership uh addy and mike so addy and mike had a marketing company um they sold like um adverts on tv screens at formula one events so you know the audience yeah. that, they'll have a, a, a big screen and they'll, they'll sell you know a 30 second advert to coca-cola and stuff so that was their business <laughs> going into the Recession, uh, going into COVID. So as you can imagine, selling advertising at sporting events <laughs> dried up pretty quickly. So they they were partners. Um, Addy had done a bit of property years ago, didn't have any portfolio now. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct in saying he only owned his own house. Mike had never done property before and they decided to join EPP. We do what's called a a membership. We do a four-month trial, basically. Very unusual in the franchise world, but we want to make sure that our franchisees are a good fit for us. And obviously people um, signing up for a five-year franchise want to make sure that it's a good fit for them. So rather than promise what we're going to do, we show people what we're going to do. We say, look, come have a go, be a franchisee. You can use all our intellectual property. We're very abundant um, in that way. And um, join us for four months. You cover our costs for four months. It's, uh, it's, It's a pittance really compared to the value that we give um but what we aim to do is get people their first deal in the first four months and our record to date is five deals in four months um and mike and addy did that they came on for four months i think they did do two or three deals i can't remember how many um i think they've been on i oh, don't quote me on this but i think they've been on board maybe nine months and i think they're on their eighth or ninth deal uh they flipped maybe half making 20 grand or so 15 20 grand maybe even 25 on one or two um on each one uh so what would that be if they flipped four or five i've actually interviewed them uh, for my podcast so if anyone's interested you can hear the actual interview so you can get the get the numbers from the horse's mouth rather than the guy <laughs> who doesn't know his own age yeah um but they flipped <laughs> about half and, um they flipped their own they flipped about half and made maybe 100k 80 100k and then they've kept half and and obviously they're then getting loads of equity and they're right raising their their monthly yeah, cash flow, cash flow. But, I think that I think exemplifies that it as possible. possible. So, so they're building they're themselves building a portfolio, portfolio and they're making and themselves, they're themselves a six-figure income, six income. Um, which, which most people, most people or lots of people in property people struggle, struggle to, do. to do. But it's, but it's difficult, difficult if you know how. You so, know how. so when I say the how, how, something's just changed. Something's there. Changed. It's got a real echo. Do you know what that is? Have you changed anything? I haven't, no. How odd. Okay, not to worry. I just okay, ignore myself. I can hear myself. <laughs> um, um, so we help so them with how to, how to market for market motivated for vendors. vendors. We help we them help to follow the EP system, system for negotiating with them. We help them to help find the investors if they want to flip. We help them to buy swiftly if they want to buy. Our properties are typically. 35 to 25 percent below market value which obviously after you've refinanced is is no money down deal sometimes we'll use vendor financing sometimes we'll do long-term delayed exchange with delayed completions etc so that's the 61 strategies that you're talking about we teach our franchisees to get in front of motivated vendors and then we give them the toolkit to solve their problems in a way that makes them money and it really is as simple as that but what we do do is then encourage them to house the homeless they don't have to but a lot of our franchisees choose to then get involved in the stepping stones project which is why we created epp so yeah it's a it's 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 brilliant for me because it ticks so many of my boxes i'm helping my franchisees I'm helping them to help vendors and investors. You know, some investors retired 15 years ago expecting to get 8% a year on their money. 
and now they're getting less than one percent a year mm -hmm. that's, that's life-changing that that is you know going on five-star holidays and now you can't afford to go on a coach trip in the uk difference in lifestyle it's massive and so i i, lo I love efficiency i love lev leverage and epp gives me loads of leverage because i can help a lot of franchisees to transform their own lives um i was speaking to one guy who lives in london owen interviewed him recently he has invested in manchester i think he said it's been life-changing for him i can't remember exactly how many properties he's bought i want to say 20 it might be 30 i can't remember um but he said this is just transformed my life he's four and a half years into his franchise and that's why i made it a five-year franchise because we want to walk beside our franchisees we want to be committed we want them to be committed because when you have a committed mentor and a committed client anything's possible and um and some of our testimonials you know make me but they bring a tear to my eye how uh, how we've transformed people's lives it's uh, obviously it's not <laughs> it's not a get quick rich scheme there's a lot of elbow grease involved things don't all go to plan but we're there to to walk beside them and, and support them which which i love yeah i love the concept and, and i absolutely love um your personal mission as well i think i think the work you're doing is absolutely phenomenal frank um i could talk to you about this stuff all <laughs> day but um, i want to be respectful of your time but i would like to ask you while whilst uh, whilst you're getting recorded and we've got a verbal contract will you come back and talk to me about the economy your insights into the property market uh, market just now um, and what opportunities that you see arising over the next five years absolutely fantastic frank and uh, where, where can the listeners find you where, where, how can they reach out to you yeah, probably the the two best places to um, reach out to us is our podcast, which is Sophisticated Property Investing by Ethical Property Partners. Either of those uh, phrases will get uh, get you to us. Um, and we have a YouTube channel as well, Ethical Property Partners YouTube channel. Um, we put out two podcasts a week, two videos a week. So that's that's a good place to start. And then if you want to get in touch with us, just jump jump on the website ethicalpropertypartners.com and uh you can uh, you can get in touch with us directly as always frank it's been an absolute pleasure you've been a phenomenal guest and we've got some great insights there so thank you so much for your time thanks ellie it's been lovely being on the show cheers that concludes another episode of the power of property if you've enjoyed today's content please make sure you leave a review subscribe to the podcast and share it with anyone you feel would get value from it it really does make a difference until next time goodbye